Well, if you have your Bibles, could you turn to Luke chapter 6? This morning's sermons coming from Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 27. Let's pray. Father, we're very thankful that we have your word. We're very grateful that you, by your spirit, work in us, stir us, help us to see and hear. And we ask this morning, Father, that you'd have mercy on us, that you truly would allow us to see, that you'd allow us to hear, that we would come to your word and, and not just be hearers of the word, but doers that we truly would understand you, understand the gospel, understand and see Jesus, and that you would mightily work in our hearts and our minds so that we truly would submit all to you and allow you to have your way with us. For we ask this in Christ. Amen. So Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 27, says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. And there you have it. This particular part of Jesus' sermon is incredibly pointed, and it hits incredibly hard in the area of our lives that gets at the heart of what really we are like as people and really addresses issues in our own lives and in our own hearts that, that are manifested by the, the reality of this particular section. Because we are, by creatures, by nature, we are creatures who love ourselves. We protect ourselves. And we defend ourselves. Right? But if you look at Jesus' disciples, they didn't want to love their enemies and do good to those who hate them. If you look at what we read this morning, let's take what we read and let's just do a little experiment. And let's look a little bit, really just quickly, at... Jesus' own disciples, he's preaching and teaching this message. And if you recall, John and James, they asked Jesus if they should call down fire from heaven to consume the Samaritans because they would not receive them. Now, wait a second. It doesn't sound like what Jesus is talking about here. And Jesus tells them, you know not what spirit you're of. If you recall Peter, on the night Jesus was going to be betrayed and taken, he cuts off the servant of the high priest's ear and Jesus rebukes him for his action. Why? Because he did not understand the way of Christ's kingdom. And all the disciples are arguing about who is going to be greatest in the kingdom just prior to Jesus being delivered up. Wanting to be great. We have example after example of a crew a motley crew of disciples who heard this teaching. Yet, did they hear it? Did they understand it? Well, at this time, they did not get it. They did not understand it. But once again, as we looked at last week, if you look at the group of guys after Acts 2, Acts 2 where God sends the Spirit and things change. They're a different group of guys. They start to act 
these men that follow Jesus more like Jesus himself. The disciples are hated, they're reviled and persecuted, and yet they do no harm in return, nor do they call down any fire from heaven on their persecutors. They do good to them, and they pray for them, and they seek their good to bless them. In fact, Stephen, Stephen, after preaching to this to, to these religious leaders, Israel's religious leaders, he's being stoned. And while he's being stoned to death, what does he say? Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. Who does that sound like? He starts to sound just like his Lord, saying the same things that Jesus said. Paul suffers more than any of them for Jesus. And yet he never once condemns or curses or seeks their harm. He continually preaches Christ and he seeks, he says, to win all men to Christ, even though they abuse him. And this is why this particular section has some interesting things going on with it. Because Jesus begins in verse 27 with this, but I say to those of you who hear, now this is important. Jesus will say this at times. I say to those who have ears to hear. And those who have ears to hear are those who have been given ears to hear by the Spirit. Because everyone else simply hears these words. And even when Jesus spoke these words to his disciples, they heard the words. They heard everything that you heard this morning. They didn't hear it. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. They, they might hear words, or they, and they might try, as they listen to these words, they might try for personal reformation, thinking, you know, I really got to change some things in my life. I really got to... Man, this, this sounds like a wonderful ideal. Wouldn't the world be a great place if this is how people function? This would be kind of like a utopia. But then they only find in themselves the self-love that they want to follow. They find themselves conflicted. They find themselves confused. What is Jesus talking about? Or they could see this, they could simply say, you know what, this is just merely hyperbole. It's just a way of getting people's attention. He really doesn't mean what he's saying here. But whatever the case, whatever people were thinking, even his disciples at this time, until the Spirit gives ears to hear, it's like a riddle almost, where you hear the words and you comprehend all the vocabulary but you don't understand what he's getting at. But unlike a riddle, God's word has multiple layers that can both be understood yet not understood at the same time. For example, we can study the Bible and know every jot and tittle. We can have it all memorized. Know its biblical theological framework. Understand the covenants and the chiastic structures and yet not hear what the Spirit is saying. As Jesus told the Pharisees, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that testify of me. They missed it. Even Jesus, when he's speaking to the church in Revelation, he says, and he who has, a, who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Because you all heard the same words. What's the difference? There's those who get it, understand it, and are able to apply it, and then there's those who don't. So we truly only understand the scriptures when we see Jesus and we see ourselves rightly in light of Jesus and we understand what it is we're to do from from that. So this means, before we get into this, you know, there's a lot of, we can get talk, let's just talk practical detail of what this means and how to live it out. But I think we're missing the point. 
And I think if we're going to hear what the Spirit is saying, we really need to step back a bit and, and think about this in a different kind of context. Understand this prior to Christ's coming, what Christ did, and then after Christ was finished. This text changes once we understand the broader context of what Jesus was doing. And so to begin with, we need to realize that as humans born in sin, you know what the point, what Jesus is trying to do here? This exposes us badly. I don't know a single person a single person born of Adam and Eve who shouldn't hear this and say, hear these words and say, no way. No way. That sounds great and all, but, and it might wake, work for a, make for a wonderful utopia, but who is going to do that? Who is going to love their enemies, do good to those who hate them, bless those who curse them, and pray for those who abuse them? Do you guys know of someone? Who, who is going to do that? I don't know. In truth, in truth, who, who amongst us even loves, forget enemies, forget enemies, who, who amongst us loves their wife and children like they ought to? Our children or spouse do something that irritates us, and we, we don't respond in love. We respond with harsh words or rank unkindness, right? Forget the enemies. How do we respond? I mean, if someone, someone hates us in our own home or does something hateful or does something hurtful or does something wrong against us, is that wonderful, beautiful char- Christian character come out? Oh, let me bless you. Oh, let me love on you. No, find me a person outside of Christ who lives this, and you'll find someone who does not need Christ. We might think in our minds, oh, maybe someone like Gandhi. Because Gandhi, you know, he promoted and he lived the principle that love was the most powerful weapon to overcome evil. But even with him, and we see him do these great acts of sacrifice for the greater cause, we don't see the kind of love that actively does good and benevolent deeds toward the particular and specific enemy that did the evil toward him. Rather, we see a pacifism and tolerance toward the enemies in general, which is a completely different thing. I hope that you and I know intuitively that in our flesh, when we hear these words, we're like, no, no, this is not true. I don't know who can do this. I don't. Who 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 possibly could do this? One person. One person not only can do this, but did do this, and his name is Jesus Christ. And those of us who know Christ, when we understand how this, what he did in relationship to this, this should amaze us. To see how Jesus lives this out and actually fulfills this, should be mind-blowing to us sinners who could never do this. When you look at what Jesus not only endured, but did for evil men, you begin to see that he's far beyond any human that has ever walked on this planet. He willingly walked into the cage of lions. It was torn in pieces 
for their salvation. And he didn't do it as some masochist, just to enjoy the pain. He did it to receive in his flesh the wages of sin that he might save, forgive, and bless the very people who did it. He was actively seeking their good, not just passively receiving their harm. They actively pursued his death. He actively pursued their life. That is a love that's foreign to us. It's a love that we cannot plumb the depths of even if we spent eternity trying to. We cannot understand a love like this. Unless the Spirit gives us eyes to see and ears to hear and we begin to see this love. Do you realize that every single human effect of sin he felt and experienced in his flesh? He was betrayed by his closest, one of his closest friends. He was left and deserted by all of his friends. He was denied by perhaps one of his closest friends who swore his loyalty to him. He was lied to, maligned, and slandered by the religious leaders and authorities. He was falsely accused, falsely tried, and given a sentence that was completely wicked and unjust. He was beaten and flogged by the people he made and blessed them with their life. He was stripped naked and humiliated before his own people. He was mocked and jeered and humiliated by those he came to save. He was crucified and left to die a miserable death by the people he served, blessed, healed, fed, and delivered. But worse than all of that, he was forsaken by his Father in heaven. And why? Why? To save the very people, those very people, from sin and death and grant them eternal life. Now that's love. And as those of us who know this about Christ, this should once again amaze us. Once again amaze us, because Jesus truly is the only human who perfectly understood and lived this. And as he proclaimed this, this is what he did. He loved his enemies. He did good to those who hated him. He blessed those who cursed him, and he prayed for those who abused them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is a love past finding out. But because of this, it just didn't end here. Something else happened. Us sinners have been forever changed. Jesus spoke this prior to the cross. Then he went to the cross. And then he ascended to heaven. And then he poured out his spirit. And as a result of that, those of us who have the spirit, this now, this love can now come out of us. Because you realize something? That Jesus doesn't just forgive sinners like us to leave us in our sin and just simply say, just simply forgive us. He does something by the Spirit. He transforms us. He changes us and makes us new creatures. He redeems us 
from sin and death. He resurrects our spirit, gives us a new heart, and, and puts the Holy Spirit within us. So what he accomplished in his own life, he now accomplishes through us by the Spirit. He's working it in us by the Spirit. However, this can be actually problematic because we don't understand exactly what, the, what this means in the details. And so often, instead of walking by the Spirit, we walk by the flesh because we're, we get confused. We don't under, even understand ourselves at times. Because there's a part of us that, lo- that loves Jesus, loves His Word, and wants to obey it and do it. And there's a part of us that just loves ourselves. We love ourselves. And as Christians, we need to know that as we walk according to this, the flesh, we cannot understand how it is that we obey what Jesus is saying here. It doesn't make any sense. As if we walk in the flesh, this is just not even a possibility. So we must understand who we are in Christ, what he's done for us, and what he's left undone, and understand what's going on and how it is we walk in the Spirit. Otherwise, we can easily walk in the flesh, and then we don't love our enemies, and we don't know what's going on. When I use this word, the flesh, this flesh is a real particular uh, expression used by Paul. Paul, that's his. That's the way he describes the, the old man, the part of us that's not redeemed, that's not resurrected, the part of us that infiltrates our mind, our will, our emotions, that infects the members of our body and that we still struggle with. It's a part that still remains in bondage to sin and death, the part that reviles, looks at this and says, absolutely no way. Here's how Paul describes it and distinguishes it. And look how careful he is in Romans chapter 7, 18 through 23. He's he's creating a distinction here. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. Now here he says, that is, and he qualifies, that is, in my flesh. So nothing good dwells in his flesh. That's to be understood. He then goes on to show another part of him. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I want, but I do not want, is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So if I find it to, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil is close at hand. Now here, here's where he really nails the distinction here within us. For I delight in the law of God where in my inward being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So for Paul... What remains and what must be dealt with is the flesh. Our spirit is redeemed and born anew from death by the Holy Spirit. And this is why Paul goes on in Romans chapter 8. He goes on to explain how it is we live and walk according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. But what, what is it even more confusing at times is that we realize that Paul uses the language of flesh But Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus has his own language, and often Jesus uses the word self. He talks about self. 
This is why he says in Luke chapter 9 that we must die to ourselves. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. He said to deny himself. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses life for my sake will save it. And a person is supposed to deny himself daily, every day. Other authors in the New Testament don't seem to bring out this idea of flesh or self language. Peter, James, and Jude, for example, seem to simply talk about actions that we should do while there being actions we shouldn't do. So it seems like very action-oriented, and they don't go on into the inside of what's going on inside the Christian. John, the Apostle John, talks about those who are born of God and how they sin but don't continue in sin. They confess their sin and walk according to the life of God within them. So no matter what language, however, is used, the point is this. The flesh, the self, and that I is still in bondage to sin and death and must be crucified on a daily basis. And the spirit then surrendered to, so this kind of love can come out of us by the spirit. So the spirit has to be given full reign in our lives and our flesh must be put away. But here's the thing. We have to understand even more than this because we have to understand what the the flesh, the eye, the self, where it's at and what it contains because often, here's what we do. We do this. We think of flesh. What do we think of? The flesh does really bad things. So we think of big sins with the flesh. So as long as I prevent myself from committing adultery, I'm good. Or as long as I, I, stop, I don't lie, I'm good. As long as I don't, you know, I don't hate in my heart, I'm good. And so that's how we often think about it. But it's way, it's deeper than that. Because we don't often think of self-interest, self-protection, self-consciousness, selfishness, self-love as of the flesh. So what do we do as Christians? We live lives we want. We have dreams and we make our plans for our own success. We look for ways to prosper and protect ourselves, seek to improve our image, and generally try to make ourselves better. And the whole time, we don't think this has anything to do with the flesh. Because we're not committing heinous sins. And so we're not understanding why it is we're not walking in the Spirit. Because we're, in actual fact, we're still walking in the flesh. I've come to realize this in my own life, that perhaps one of the most heinous and unrecognized sins in my life has been self. My love, protection, and advancement of self. And as of late, as I've been studying and wrestling with this stuff, I've noticed how much... I live for self. I seek to make myself look good. I seek to, to uh, think of ways to improve myself. I think of I think so, ways to advance myself. I think of ways to protect myself. I think of, of constantly thinking, thinking of self. Self, 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 self. And the whole time, as long as you're not committing any major sins, you're not walking in the flesh, which is, contr- cont- which is absolutely and completely false. Because all it does is nothing, it does nothing but feed the flesh when I feed self. 
One of the most helpful things I've done as of late is to consciously die to myself daily. And what does that mean? That means every day taking up my cross, dying to myself, denying myself, giving to Jesus everything, absolutely everything, living as a bond slave to him and surrendering to the will of the Father and the power of the Spirit in my life. Do you realize that's what we have to do? It's absolute submission and surrender of ourselves, our agendas, our self-protection daily to the Lord. And willfully submitting and surrendering myself to the Father's will and to the power of the Spirit in my life. So this means my family, my schedule, my hopes, my ministry, my dreams, my plans, my everything. I give to him and I declare, Lord, whatever you want for me and whatever you have for me is what I want. And I give you everything. I find that doing that is just as important as cutting off opportunities for the flesh that tempt. Let me give you a practical example of how this worked out this week. It seems like God has a way of of testing these realities. Because on Friday... I was opened up my computer to start work on the sermon. I had a whole bunch done. And all of a sudden, this, it said, this, this file has been deleted. And uh, no way. And so I said to myself, here you go, Dean. You said you wanted the Lord's will and not your own. You said that whatever you want, Lord, that's what I want. Here you go. So what, do I, what was I supposed to do? Do I respond in faith and say, Father, you clearly have something for me that I don't understand at this moment, and, and, and I trust that you will reveal to me, and I just I walk by faith believing the power of the Spirit that this is what you, you have for me? Or do I say this, no way. I can't believe it. And grab that stupid computer and throw it across the room. Well, thankfully, this stuff has been on my heart and mind, and I've been working through this on a daily basis, and it's all fresh. So as my flesh rises up, and it's so funny, and it's like, so what are you going to do, Dean? Um, and, 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 I had, and that moment, I realized, well, I need to die to myself. And do I really mean what I say? Do I really say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And here I am. I am your servant for you to do with me and for me with what you want. And if this is what you have for me, this is what you have for me. This is from your hand. Thankfully, I was able to do that where I know before I would have been so ripped off. Because my plan and my agenda and my timing just got ruined. Absolutely. That's Friday, and I have all day Saturday. And you think of all the content and the stuff that you've wrestled with and you feel like you've put together, and it's gone. It's real practical. So coming back to this text that we have in Luke chapter 6, implying what Jesus is saying here, if I or you try to muster up the strength to apply this, it's not going to happen. You, you, you can't think that all of a sudden you go on your daily business and then when this happens, someone, your enemy, someone hates you or someone maligns you or someone abuses you. 
you think your response is going to be this? Not a chance. Unless the Spirit is having His way in you. And you're walking according to the Spirit. Because if you, by the Spirit, put to death yourself on a daily basis and look to God for everything, everything that you need, then this will be applied by the Spirit in and through your life. Because when our enemies come to take what belongs to us, us, either our desires, our selfish desires, our selfish agendas and dreams will be exposed, that I really do live for self, I live for me, or they will already have been crucified that day. But here's the crazy thing. This is what we do, and it's strange. I don't fully understand it myself. But if we think of submitting to God everything, surrendering everything to him, and every little detail of our lives, and allowing the spirit to have his way within us and through us, we instantly get scared and think, I can't do that. I'll be abused. My life will be horrible. Tragedy, tragedy will probably strike immediately. Here's the funny thing, and it's crazy. Because it doesn't change God's will one bit. Your submitting to him or not doesn't change him. It's not like, oh, would you please make me Lord, Dean? Because then I could do so much. Then I would do this or that. It doesn't change it. He is Lord whether you make him Lord or not. His will is done whether you submit to it or not. It won't change the outcome of your life. But it will change you. It'll, it'll drastically change you. But we're so crazy. We're to think, well, man, if I did that, I couldn't. Total. We're such control freaks because we want to be God ourselves. We want to we delude ourselves and convince ourselves that we can control the affairs of our lives. And the moment we surrender and give all to God and say, you have it all, every bit of it. I want nothing but your will, not mine be done. Thinking, whoa, wait a second. That's crazy. That's stupidness. Could you imagine? Oh, probably immediately something bad would happen. Hello? Nothing's changed. God is still on his throne. His will is still being done. He's still sovereign. He is Lord over all. Not a sparrow falls from the sky apart from the Father's will. He's got the hairs of your head numbered. He knows us all. And before your days were, they were already determined. According to Psalm 139. God is God and you're not. And all he's saying to you is get over it. And as so as we submit and as we surrender and as we give him our whole lives and we, we die daily to ourself, our selfish agendas, what we think is good, what we think is best, what we think will, will work out just great. The only thing that changes is us. And all of a sudden, the Spirit begins to work out of your life, in and through your life. And now all of a sudden, an enemy can do something. Someone can hate you or someone can curse you. And you can see it as from, this is the hand of the Lord. You see, this is the hand of the Lord upon me. And I receive it. Lord, we could say, we become to get to the point where we start to talk like Jesus. Lord, not my will, but yours be done. 
Because you're good. And yours is the best way. But, if as long as we live selfish lives, as long as we do not crucify ourselves daily, as long as we do not deny ourselves and submit ourselves as unto the Lord each day, we will walk according to our own selfish desires. We will do what we want, and in any time what we want is not done, what happens when what you want doesn't get done? When your will is not enacted, when you have a desire, you have a plan, you have a dream, you have a goal, and that doesn't happen. Tell me what happens. Frustrated. I'm ticked. I can get frustrated about the line I choose at the grocery store because my goal is to get through that grocery line as fast as possible, and for some reason, if I stand in that line, it's the slowest line. I don't know what it is. And I get frustrated, and that's so ridiculous. Why? Because Dean has an agenda. I have a timetable. I know what I want to accomplish. And it is getting frustrated right now, and I don't like that. When I'm driving, and people are going way too slow, that, that can cause you to, to uh, do things you didn't think you were capable of. Why? I have places to go. I have something to do. I have got an agenda. And if I don't get there, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. You realize that I'm in control of my life and I like when I am. We're so deluded. We're so crazy. But as long as we act and think and operate in that mode, we are walking by the flesh. And here's the crazy thing. A Christian can go on their whole lives thinking that's not the flesh. The flesh is if, you know, I'm addicted to pornography or if I'm hating my neighbor or if I'm doing bad and evil things. That's the flesh. But I'm doing that stuff. Man, I can't stand the way these people drive. (laughs) Self. Self Self-agenda. Self-love. Self-protection. self aggrandizement, self-glory. It's all about self. That's all flesh. It's just what Paul's talking about. Because the time when we get to that point where we say, Lord, my timetable, my family, my work, my everything, I give to you. And I am a bond slave. I am a servant. You are Lord. You are master. You are God. I am not. And And I submit all of it to you. And I want your will in my life. So what comes my way is from your hand. At that moment, and you submit like that, the Spirit of God then works in and through you and working out of you. And you've now put the Spirit in charge and control of your life and not the flesh. And then, on days like that, we can say with Paul, it's no longer I who lives but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Because remember, Luke 6, 27 through 31, it's impossible for sinners like us. But this was perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. He perfectly fulfilled it. And then the same Jesus gives us his spirit and fills us. 
And he says, I'm going to do this in and through you. All you have to do is get out of the way and stop walking according to your own passions and desires, your own flesh. And as you submit to the Lord, to his will and to the spirit, this is what starts to come out. That's the only way you can ever love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. The one who takes your cloak, do not withhold the tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. You begin to say, it's not my life, not my will, but yours, O God. So we submit to Jesus because he is our Lord. And then Jesus loves his enemies through us. Amen. Father, Father, please work in us to exp- and expose us and show how we in our flesh love ourselves and are all about ourselves and self, self, self. And Father, may we put to death ourselves each and every day and submit ourselves to you and walk in your ways by the Spirit following the lead of your spirit submitting to you through the spirit we thank you that Jesus came to give us life and this is the life found through him by the spirit amen